guys. Hey. It has been a minute. It has been, this is four weeks since I've been here at Drive with you guys. Three weeks ago, I was in Puerto Rico. And then, hey, some of you were with me. All right, where's my A team at? All right, where's the B team at? Oh, there you go. All right. Uh, and then two weeks ago, uh, we, we canceled for the 4th of July, which we always do. And then last week, I was at Lion for Hooked with some of you guys, and we were supposed to have drive at the park, and then there's thunderstorms. So if you showed up at the park, you got wet, and nobody was hanging out with you. So I apologize for that. Uh, but I'm excited to be back, man. I've missed you guys. And I was thinking about, there's counting tonight, there's only three drives left until summer camp. So I'm excited about that. Two, if you have not signed up, sign up soon. Uh, there's only so many spots available. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm getting into the announcements tonight, though. But we're doing a new series. It's called Catalyst. As you can see, it has nothing to do with planets exploding or whatever that is. It actually looks like a, a, the game, like an exploding water balloon or something. But a catalyst is something that sparks change. Maybe it's like a science class term. Uh, you might know it from chemistry class specifically, uh, but you add a catalyst to something and it, it spurs on change or it makes the change that's already happening go faster. And for the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about different catalysts that we can put into our lives that increase change in our faith. Perfect science experiment you can do at home. On your way home tonight, stop at the gas station, buy a pack of Mentos, buy a Diet Coke or a Diet Pepsi, go home, call your parents in the room and drop the Mentos into the pop and see what happens. That's all I'm telling you. It's going to be really great, and you'll see what a catalyst is right there in front of your mom and dad. Uh, a catalyst can be a mento. It can be iron. It can be platinum. It can be any of those, you know, anything off the periodic table, all kinds of things. But we're talking about things that cause a change with our faith, and we're going to look at different things that could be catalysts, including us in our faith and in the faith of others. Before we get into all of that, let's go ahead and pray together. God, we are so thankful that we can be here tonight. We're thankful for those who are here every week and their faithfulness. We're thankful for those who are here for the first time and their courage uh, and willingness to try something new. I pray that every one of us hears from you tonight. Open up our minds, open up our hearts and our ears to hear from you. Uh, God, as I speak, take away any anxiety or nerves I might have about speaking your message and get me out of the way. And God, more than anything, we just want you to show off in a big, big way tonight. May you be glorified. If there's anyone here tonight who does not know you, in a personal relationship, may tonight be the night that they go home with an eternal relationship with your son, Jesus. So we ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So guys, uh, how many of you have ever found yourself picking up a new habit or like a quirk or a phrase? You start saying something new, and maybe it's because of the people you've been around, all right? We all do that. You hang around somebody long enough, you start to maybe act like them or talk like them or do what they do, or you get into what they get into. Uh, maybe you finally start watching a show that your friends won't shut up about. Uh, my wife started watching some show because somebody else she knows watches it. I don't know what it's called. It's something I'm not interested in. But your friends talk about a show, and you don't want to be left out, so you're like, oh, I guess I better watch the show too. Your friends are all into a certain kind of music, so you start listening to that kind of music. Maybe it's a new phrase that your friends say, or you hear it on social media, and so you start saying that phrase too. Maybe it's trying a new weird fashion trend after somebody at school tried it first, or you want to have the same pair of shoes that everybody else has, or you want to wear the same brand that everybody else has. I have a 20-year-old son. And he is definitely fashion interested. And he is interested in fashion that I'm not interested in. Um, it's stuff that I would never wear and it's money that I would absolutely never spend. In fact, he's on vacation right now, he's in Miami. He was at a store called the Chrome Heart Store today. 
And he's like, Dad, I bought a hoodie. And I said, how much did it cost? And I won't say how much it costs, but it's more than my monthly uh, car payment. And I was puking in my mouth when he told me how much it costs. But my son, um, what I love about my son, though, when it comes to his fashion is if he likes something and you don't like it, he doesn't care. He doesn't care if you think it looks stupid because he likes it. But he's still influenced by other people. He's influenced by musicians, musicians that he listens to. He's on Instagram and he follows some weird fashion accounts and he's into it, stuff like that. Uh, in fact, there was something that he got really into uh, that kind of swept the internet for a minute and he got caught up into. Some of you guys have seen the photos. I, got, I brought them tonight. My son owns a pair let me find them. They're down here. Of the big red boots. These are my sons. I think they're the stupidest things I've ever seen in my life. This is what he calls fashion. I call this an abomination unto the Lord. All right, but he bought these things. He's like, Dad, these things are awesome. These things are so, they're drippy is what he says. They're so drippy. I'm like, you better drip them out of the house because I think they're hideous. But he loves them. Should I put them on? Yeah. <laughs> Leave them on for the rest of the night? I might have to, because they're hard to get out of, especially when you're fat and old. All right? Oh, my. It's called fashion. Look it up, Joey. All right, here we go. All right, if you want to take a picture real quick. Am I drippy? Yeah. These things, they literally hurt right now. They, they do not feel good, and they're very heavy, and I might need my wife to help me. I'm going to pull my hamstring. There's one. Did you hear the thud? Listen to this. Listen. Hang on. <laughs> they're so heavy. I don't know how I'm going to get this one off. I don't know. Not like Frankenstein, I think, is how you walk in those. That's what he likes. I got a $50 pair of shoes that somebody bought for me. We have different interests in fashion. But he was influenced by social media, by trends, by TikTok to buy the big red boots. I don't know, man. I'm going to put them over here. You can stare at them for a while, but they're not coming back on my feet, all right? But, but the thing is, he didn't just see these at a store one day and go, wow, those are cool. He saw them online, he saw a rapper wear them, he saw an artist wear them, he saw people talking about them, he saw ads about them, he saw targeted posts, he saw hashtags, and he was influenced. He didn't just find, you, by the way, you don't find these at Walmart, I don't know, but he didn't just see them one time and say, I gotta have them, he got influenced. And that's what we're gonna talk about tonight is when we get influenced by the world around us. I've never been influenced to buy those, but I've got influences in my life, good and bad. Things that I'm influenced to do for, for the good and things that I'm influenced to do for the bad. So first question I would ask you is what about you? I want you to, as we talk tonight, consider your influences. Consider the people in your life that influence you the most. It's probably at your age, it's probably your friends. Think about the friends you spend the most time with. What are they getting you to do? What are they asking you to do? What are they pushing you to do? Is it things that honor God or glorify God? Is it things you would never want to be put on a stage or on a screen? Those are the influences in your life. Naturally, the people around us influence us the most. And even what we say, if that's ever happened to you, maybe you start talking like the people around you, you know. If that's ever happened to you, you know what a catalyst is. A catalyst is that person in your life that has influenced you to change something about yourself, good or bad, 
but they made you or, or urged you or pushed you to change. When I was in high school, I had a friend named Tanya. And uh, she was in our friend group. We called her Trixie, and it doesn't really matter why. I'm just saying Trixie because as they tell the story, I probably will call her Trixie more than Tanya. That's just how we knew her. But Trixie hung out with uh, our group. I, I knew her from youth group, just like you guys are in youth group tonight. And um, the thing about Trixie was she was really a cool girl. Like She was really laid back, really chill. And she would hang out with uh, me, my buddy Dustin, my buddy Terry. We would get together a lot, and Trixie would hang out with us. And here's what we were into back then. We were into playing basketball and watching basketball. We played video games and we listened to rap music. That's pretty much all we did. And Trixie would come hang out with us and she liked to play video games and she liked to play basketball even though she sucked at it and she liked to listen to rap music. She would go to the record store with us and buy new CDs and stuff like that. And it was really, really cool. Like this was a person who was a lot like us. And so when you find someone that's a lot like you, you tend to spend time with them. But then we started to notice something. See, she was a part of our youth group. And our youth group kind of had like little groups within groups. I think every group has that. You've got your friend group, right? And it's not that you don't like other people, but you just kind of gravitate towards your people. I would encourage you to branch out from that as best you can. But what we noticed about Trixie is that she would kind of go from group to group. When she was up with us, it was video games and rap. But then she'd go and hang out with a guy named Bill and his buddies, and they like country music, and they'd wear flannels, and she'd dress like them and listen to country music. Yeehaw, I'm Trixie. You know, that's what she would do. And it got really, really bad when we went on spring break together. A group of us uh, went on vacation during spring break one year, and uh, my cousin went with us. My cousin was a girl who wasn't in the youth group. Her name was Shiloh, and they never met. Shiloh and Trixie never met. But what we noticed is Shiloh had this little weird quirk. Her answer to everything was awesome, awesome. Like, hey, Shiloh, you want some french fries? Oh, awesome. Hey, Shiloh, how'd you sleep? Awesome. Shiloh, you want to go down to the beach? Awesome. She'd say that all the time. And so sure enough, like two days into the trip, guess what Trixie starts saying all the time? Trixie, you want to go to McDonald's with us? Awesome. She had a deep voice, by the way. Awesome. <laughs> Trixie, we're going to go out on the jet skis. You want to go with us? Oh, awesome. We're like... Where'd you learn that? I've always said that. Okay, no, you haven't, you know? But what we notice is that as we picked up on that, whoever she was around is who she was. Still to this day, sometimes when I think about her, I wonder, what was she actually like? Like, what was the real Tanya? I don't know if we ever met her, but all I know is that she was influenced by whoever she was around. And that's not always a bad thing. Sometimes, you know, if, you, if you're surrounded by the right people, they can lift you up, build you up, and encourage you and spur you on to do better things. In fact, the Bible talks about how we should surround ourselves by people like that. But I also know that she was sometimes caught up in the wrong crowds, and she got caught up doing wrong things, and caught up sinning, and caught up doing stuff that did not glorify God or honor God. But that was just her, you know? Sometimes I think about her. The people who end up being the biggest catalysts in your life are usually the people that we look up to the most. Maybe our parents, a coach, a teacher. The people we spend the most time with, that's usually your friends, or the people we learn the most from, again, parents, coach, teacher, or maybe even your friends, especially if you're friends with people that are a little older than you. And these catalysts tend to influence us in a big, big way, even when we're not aware of it, which is why it's so important to pay close attention to who you're giving your time to. You can't avoid being influenced by other people. Everybody's influenced. All of us are. You can't avoid it. Unless you live alone, unless you live by yourself, never talk to anybody, never interact with anybody, you're going to be influenced. I'm not telling you to not be influenced because that's impossible to do. I'm telling you to choose the right people to allow into your life. Take inventory of who you're spending your time with. Take inventory of who you're looking up to. Take inventory of who you're surrounding yourself with, especially the people 
that are involved in your faith. I'm no fool, and I, I, I know that just because someone goes to church with you doesn't mean they're a good influence. I was not a good influence when I was in high school. You did not want me to hang out with you uh, if you wanted to get closer to Jesus, because I would talk through the lesson, I would make fun of people, and we would go out. I wouldn't do like crimes or anything like that, but we'd do stuff that was bordering on illegal activity, all right? I was not the best influence. But these next couple of weeks, we're going to be reading from the book of Hebrews, and we're going to be uh, in chapter 11. And if you read chapter 11 of Hebrews, I would encourage you to go home, read that on your own, read the Bible on your own, don't just read it here in church. But read Hebrews chapter 11. If you're a sports fan, every sport has a hall of fame. Hebrews chapter 11 is sort of like the hall of fame of faith. Some people call it the hall of faith. It's a who's who of great people of the Bible. And it lists all these people who by faith did amazing things. And you, as you read it, you might know their stories. And you might go, oh, I know what he did and what he did or what she did. And it's a really cool summary of super characters of the Old Testament. And these are people who didn't just believe in God in theory. Like some of us say, yeah, I believe in God. They put their faith into practice by what they did and what they said and how they lived their lives. And we'll get to the book of Hebrews in just a second. But tonight we're going to focus on a specific character uh, who's mentioned in Hebrews 11, and his name is Moses. I love the story of Moses. It's one of my favorite stories. It's found in the book of Exodus. Um, If you're looking for a cool Moses story to watch and you're not a reader, I would encourage you to watch a movie called The Prince of Egypt. It's an awesome movie. It's about Moses. It's pretty close to what Scripture says. Now, they add some chariot races and stuff that aren't actually listed in the Bible, but that's okay. All right, it's a cool movie, and it's a cool cool synopsis of the story of Moses. Um, Or you can read it. Go home and read Exodus 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5. Five chapters. It's not a whole lot. Second book of the Bible, all right? Moses is great, and I want to give you a summary of Moses. And you might know it already, and that's okay. I know it too. But here's what we know. Before Moses was even born, all right, so Moses was an Israelite. Moses' heritage and his genealogy is the people of Israel. And before Moses was even born, his people were enslaved by the Egyptians. So by the time he was born, his people, the Israelites, were slaves. So the Egyptians hold the Israelites in slavery. And what happens, and this is still before Moses is born, the Pharaoh starts to freak out and the people of Egypt start to freak out because even though they're slaves, they're still getting married, they're still having kids, and they're growing and they're growing and they're growing. So even though they're a nation of slaves, there's a lot of them. And the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, uh, starts to worry. He says, there's so many of them, they might overtake us. So they start working them harder. They start abusing them and they start mistreating them. And that doesn't deride anything. They still get bigger and bigger. And so Pharaoh enacts this nasty, horrible law that says... From now on, when an Israelite woman gives birth, if it's a daughter, fine. If she gives birth to a son, take the baby and throw it in the Nile River and let it drown. It's messed up. And he did that out of fear because he thought that Israel was getting so big and so powerful that they were going to overthrow him, even though they were people of of slavery and didn't have a lot of resources. They just had so many people that he was afraid of. And so he makes this law to kind of curb their growth. And so Moses' mother gets pregnant with Moses, gives birth, and she knows about this law. She has a son, and she wants to protect her son. And so, as you might know the story, she puts him in a basket, and she does put him in the Nile River, not like the law says, but to keep him alive. And she puts him in the river, and he kind of floats down the river, and she just hopes that someone finds him. Now, as fate would have it, he's found by the Pharaoh's daughter, and he grows up in the home of the Pharaoh, and he's raised as an Egyptian, even though he's an Israelite. And there's all... uh, Chapter 1 and chapter 2, and as he grows up, he's not okay with how Pharaoh is treating his people. 
And there's actually one story where he sees a slave being mistreated so badly by an Egyptian soldier that he steps in and he kills the soldier. So Moses commits a murder. No one's around to see it, so he hides the body and he takes off. He flees Egypt. He's a man on the run. And that's kind of where we pick up in Exodus chapter 3. Moses is living in the wilderness outside of Egypt. He's not living in slavery anymore, but he's kind of living in fear. And he encounters a burning bush. Now, you guys might know this part of the story, but Moses sees a bush that's on fire. But what's weird is even though it's on fire, it's not actually burning up. It's just a fire that's not consuming the bush. And God speaks to Moses through that bush, and he reveals to Moses who he is. He says, I've seen enough of what's going on with my people. And he's going to free them and take them to the promised land. And verse 10 is what we're going to see and how God's going to do it. Exodus chapter 3, verse 10 through 12. It should be on the screen right there for you. This is God speaking to Moses. He says, come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children out of, of Israel out of Egypt? He said, this is God, but I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. So God speaks to Moses. He says, Moses, I've heard the cry of my people. I've had enough. I'm going to free them, and I want you to do it. And Moses says, um, hang on. I'm nobody. Who do you think that I am that I could go speak to the Pharaoh? And God and Moses kind of have a conversation, and God says, Moses, I'm going to be with you. And Moses actually asks God a question. He says, okay, well, well what if they ask your name? What should I say? And then Exodus chapter 3, God reveals that his name is I am. God's name is I am. And that's a whole message in itself that we're not going to get into. But you would think after God protects Moses as a baby from a miracle, that after God spares Moses' life, and that after God speaks to Moses in this miraculous fire, that Moses would be fired up to serve God, but instead he's afraid. He's like, ah, I don't think I'm equipped to do this. I don't think I'm the man for the job. I don't think I'm the guy that you should use. And so to help Moses find the faith that he needed, God promised, one, that he'd be with him through all of it. And God also gave Moses help through a guy named Aaron. He said, Aaron's going to be with you too. And so as Moses goes and speaks to Pharaoh, and we know about the 10 plagues and all that stuff, really cool story. We're not going to get into it all tonight. Go home and read it. I'm begging you guys. It's an awesome story. But Aaron is this guy who is with him through all of it. Now, you might know the story, all right? And I know chances are a lot of you do. Again, if you don't and you have questions, I'd love to talk to you about it, but we just don't have time to get into every little detail of it. But here's what I want you to look at tonight. As we think about this story of a guy who was spared by a miracle, grew up, was chosen by God to lead a people, and did lead those people out of captivity, who in Moses' life were the catalysts of his faith? Who influenced Moses to become the person that he was? You might say his mother was a catalyst. Because without her, he wouldn't have even survived. If she had given birth and like not hid him and not protected him away, he would have been thrown in the river and died, and the story would have taken on a totally different turn for itself. So his mother was definitely a catalyst in his faith. How about the enslaved man that Moses protected and the soldier that was doing wrong? Sometimes we see someone acting so ungodly that it causes us to, to act in a godly way in response. Moses saw a man being beaten and... and and tortured, essentially, and he was stirred to action. 
to step in and help that guy. Not to say that murder is okay, but he saw injustice and he acted. His brother Aaron was a catalyst by partnering with Moses to help him carry out God's mission. Even Pharaoh and his soldiers, you could argue, were catalysts for Moses because they resisted God, which caused Moses to have to take another step and another step and another step out in faith. And as a result, Moses took God up on this invitation to help rescue an entire nation of people. And he did. And God delivered them, and great things happened. And what's really cool is Moses, this guy who's like, I'm nobody. By acting out in faith to those people, the people of Israel, to them, Moses became almost like a conquering hero. And Moses became a catalyst for their faith. So now that we know Moses' story, that's like the nutshell version, all right? Let's fast forward to the book of Hebrews to see how Moses' story is remembered. If we go to Hebrews chapter 11... Verse 23 and 29, this is where they focus on Moses in the Hall of Faith chapter. It says, by faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's evil. I always think that part's weird because they saw these beautiful, so like if he was ugly, they were just gonna let him die. That part's weird, but anyways. Uh, by faith Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking for that reward, to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. Moses' story of faith was not just a catalyst for the people that were living by him and around him and the people that he helped rescue, but Moses' faith was a catalyst for faith of all the earliest followers of Jesus. If you read the Old Testament, so many of them were influenced by Moses, this guy who at first glance was like, I can't do this. In fact, he did so much that he was a catalyst for the faith of so many others, and he continues to be a catalyst for our faith today. Watch how his legacy of faith continues. Let's keep reading. Uh, verse 1130, and I'm skipping some verses here. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. I'll pause right there. The walls of Jericho was Joshua who took the, rain, took the, the mantle from Moses after he died. So as soon as Moses passed away, the next person up was Joshua, and he followed Moses' footsteps. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, and David, and Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the powers of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. So he says all these people did so many things. They shot lions' mouths, they won wars, they saw miracles, and all of them were influenced by the faith of Moses. Therefore, now this is chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such great a cloud of witnesses... Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. What I love about Moses is as the author of Hebrews talks about Moses, it leads to these people, to these people, to these people, and then it takes us to Jesus. Before Jesus ever entered the world, Moses was faithful to him. The author of Hebrews says, to those of us that are reading this letter, we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. 
That's encouraging to me. There are people who are watching you live your life and they are rooting you on and they are they're waiting to see your success. The people who went before us, the people who showed us what faith can look like, it's kind of wild to me to think that like Moses and Joshua and Gideon and David might be looking down on us at Drive tonight, wondering what they're gonna see us do with our faith. It's kind of cool to think about, you know? Scripture is full of stories like these. But scripture is not the only place that we can find catalysts like these. I'm inspired by Moses and David. David's like my favorite. I love reading about David. But our catalysts are around us even now. If we know where to look. I'm going to show you some of my catalysts. All right. We got some pictures I want to show you. This first one, that's my dad. And that's me, by the way, with that really cool haircut. Um, But that's me and my dad. My dad is uh, one of the biggest catalysts of my faith. Uh, my dad modeled fatherhood for me. My dad modeled being a husband for me. My dad, my dad modeled being a youth pastor and a pastor for me. He also rocked a wicked mustache that I could never, ever pull off. He was a great husband. He was a great father. Uh, that picture right there is at a baseball ceremony. He was even a good baseball coach. Uh, he was a great youth pastor. He was a great friend, and he was far from perfect. And listen, any child can tell you they see their parents' flaws more than just about anybody. I saw my dad at his worst, but I can tell you My dad loved Jesus so, so, so much. And my dad is one of my biggest catalysts in my faith. Let me show you another picture. This is a guy I don't think any of you ever met. His name is uh, Dan Brown. Um, Interesting looking guy. All right, his name is Dan. And Dan started a summer camp. Just like a lot of us, hopefully all of you, all of us are going to in a couple weeks. He started a summer camp called Lift Student Ministries. And it was at his camp that he ran, that he organized, that he put the hours in, that he put the blood, sweat, and tears into, that I gave my life to Christ. I got saved at one of his camps. And still to this day, I reach out to Dan, I talk to Dan. In fact, he just commented on one of my Facebook posts. And when I was a young adult wanting to get involved in ministry, and a lot of people said I was too young and said I was too much of a kid, and you guys might be familiar with that, oh, you're too young to do anything important. A lot of people shut me down. Dan propped me up. Dan said, I I admire your creativity. Let's get you plugged in. And Dan took me and my wife, and he gave us roles that nobody else would have given us, and he believed in me, and he was a huge catalyst in my faith because he believed in a dumb kid when I was a dumb kid, and I'm just a dumb old man, all right? All right, you might know the next two. This next one, um, this is our pastor, Travis. Uh, London's not as much of a catalyst in my faith, but she just happened to be in the picture. But Pastor Travis, I don't put him up there just because he's my boss. I put him up there because if you don't know our pastor, he walks the walk, and he talks the talk. I've shared this before. If you've heard me share it, you, you probably know this. But when my family came to this church, I was in a bad spot. I was hurting. I was broken. I was burned out, and I was not looking to get involved in a church anymore. I was looking to come and sit in a seat and do nothing else. And because of this ministry and because of this church and largely because of his influence and his leadership, I'm standing on the stage today. I'm back in ministry. I'm a student pastor. I'm glad you're clapping (laughs) uh, because if you don't like me, it's Travis's fault that I'm here. All right, so, but listen, let me tell you something about our pastor. You might not know him like I do, but the man you see on stage is the man you will see off stage, and he is faithfully devoted to Jesus Christ. He cares about you. He cares about us. He cares about our well-being, and this is a guy that I admire very, very much. And then one more, one more catalyst in my life. This is the prettiest one. Aw, that's my wife. Uh, my wife has encouraged me. 
She has supported me. She has cried with me. She has cried because of me many times. Uh, She has prayed with me. She has prayed over me. She has believed in me even when I did not believe in myself. And she has walked through most of my life with me by my side. And if I'm being honest, when it comes to faith, sometimes she has had to lead the way because I have been doing a really sucky job of it. And she's had to lead when I should have been leading. Um, I would not be the man that I am today without my wife. Fellas, find a wife like that. Ladies, be a woman like that. It's that simple. All right? Find somebody that will be with you at your worst, love you despite your worst, and bring you up out of it and make you better. Those are my catalysts. All right? If you don't like me, it's their fault. Okay? That's just a few, but those are the big ones for me. These catalysts are a part of my great cloud of witnesses. Who are yours? You've got a great cloud of witnesses too. You've got people who are watching. You've got people who are rooting you on. You've got people who are watching you run the race and hoping to see you run harder and run faster and run farther and run better because those people in my life have helped me see what it looks like to follow Jesus and I hope to do the same for others. And I hope that you hope to do the same for others. The author of Hebrews wrote that our faith journeys are like a race. We wanna run our races well And when you are running and you feel like you have tripped, you feel like you've fallen behind, you feel like you are not doing a good job, just know there is a cloud of witnesses that is watching you and rooting for you and hoping you do well. In fact, um, I brought another prop tonight. I don't know what's on with me. I brought boots and I brought this thing. This is what I want you to picture when it comes to a catalyst. How many of you guys have seen one of these things before? It's actually called, does anybody know what this is called? It's, It's called the Newton's Cradle. All right? And you guys know how it works, right? You just go. Pretty simple. That's all it does, and it'll just keep going for a little bit. But this is how a catalyst works. You see, the only way this one moves is if the other ones move. So I take this one, and now this one's moving. And here's the thing. Sometimes when it comes to catalysts and people in our faith, we think about this person who makes the big movements, right? We think about this person who moves the most. But if you take away these middle ones, and this is going to get a little tricky, right? You can't move the other one. Even the small movements matter. Even the ones that just do a little bit of nudging still matter. So you might be this person that makes the big moves. Or you might be this person or this person or this person, maybe you need to be this person who needs someone to move so you can start moving. And what's really cool about this is that when this one starts moving, it sends it all the way back, and then this one moves it back. That's what our faith should look like. Someone should spur you on to do something, and when you do it, it encourages the person to encourage you, and then you encourage them back, and they encourage you back, and it's sort of this back and forth of living out our faith. That's what it's supposed to look like. So picture that when you think of who's influencing you, who's moving big, who's moving close to you, who's pushing you just a little bit to go the right way. That's going to annoy me if it keeps doing that. That's kind of how it is with our faith, right? When we're in community with other people, we're all impacting each other. I want you to understand, we all impact each other's lives. If you're a part of this youth ministry, especially those who are here all the time, you impact each other's lives with what you do and what you say. The question is, are you impacting people positively or negatively? Because this can work the right way, or it can get all tangled up and twisted, and then nobody does nothing. 
Sometimes we get all tangled up and twisted in each other's lives and it causes us to stop moving and we're just a mess. Don't live a life like this. And I'm not gonna take the time to untangle it, but live a life that moves people towards God. Our, our, our phrase here at Mile City is helping people move towards God. The faith of others can be a catalyst on your, on your journey and your faith can be a catalyst on other people's journey. Here's our take home point tonight. The faith of others can be a catalyst on our journey. So I want you to consider tonight, who has been your catalyst? If you know Jesus, if you love Jesus, if you follow Jesus, who influenced you to get there? Who's influencing you to get closer to him? Who's there for you? Who's praying over you? Who's leading you? Who's encouraging you? Who's setting the right example? That's the person you should be seeking out more in your life. That's the person you should go to when you need counsel. That's the person you should go to when things are tough. Not the person that's going to make this mess out of your life. But sometimes when we wind up in this mess, you know who we call? The person who started it. Avoid these people. Avoid being this person and find somebody that can untangle it and get you moving in the right direction. And I can't close tonight without talking about the greatest catalyst of anyone, and that's Jesus Christ. Chances are you know this, but I'm still going to tell you. Jesus Christ loves you, and he loves you so much that he came to this earth, he lived a perfect life, and he died on the cross, not for how you are right now, not for you when you're acting your best, but you at your worst. When we are a tangled up mess that can't move in the right direction, that's what Jesus came for, to untangle the mess that sin put into our lives and to set a course for our lives that brings us closer to him. Jesus did all the work at the cross. And if you want to know Jesus, all you have to do is call on him. We sang it tonight. Call on Jesus and you will be saved. It's that simple. I'm going to close this with a word of prayer. We're going to keep going tonight. We're not done. we still got some more stuff. Um, but if you need to know more about Jesus, talk to your group leader tonight or talk to me. God, we love you so much. We thank you that we can open up your word and find catalysts for our faith. We thank you that we know we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. But God, I pray that these students can be encouragers, that they can encourage each other to move towards you. Let us move towards you in faith and encourage others to do the same. And when we see them do the same, let us be encouraged and let us keep bouncing back and forth off of each other's movements towards you to be stronger followers of you. We love you for who you are. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for forgiving us. Thank you for dying for us. Father, if there's anyone here tonight who does not know you, I ask that you give them the courage to come speak to me before they go home tonight. We ask all these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.